0: Chapter 13. Everything is 220 volts. Perhaps the story is in order to help illustrate the unusual title of this chapter. While serving in Slovenia on our second mission, I inherited a laser printer. A senior missionary finished his mission and left his printer for one of the senior sisters to use. Unexplainably, I could not get it to work with her laptop, so she gave it to me to see if, I, if it would work with mine. It did, so I had it for a few weeks until Elder Thompson's printer gave up the ghost in Croatia. Rather than have him buy a new one, I sent the inherited printer to the Thompsons, and they were very happy to get it. It is now printing leases and other documents that are helping to keep the missionaries in Croatia legal with the government, thus a happy ending. Keep that story in mind while considering this analogy of the mission field. Probably because missionaries teach the plan of salvation so much, they often compare a mission to our life and mortality. First, you have the pre-mortal world, or life before your mission. Birth and childhood, when you enter the MTC— mortality, for two years in the field, death, when you disappear into the security line at the airport, and the afterlife, where your loved ones greet you and you move on to other challenges. When a missionary dies, he often leaves things behind for others to use, as was the case with this printer. Ignoring the obvious that it would have been too bulky to take home, he would really have had no use for it in the U.S. since it operates on 220 volts. Everyone who was blessed even briefly by this inheritance passed it on without any thought of remuneration. It was directed toward the highest and best use to further the work. As I pondered on the singularity of this concept, I realized that the value of that printer to anyone beyond their time in the mission field is nil, since it would be of no use if taken to a country that runs entirely on 110 volts. To carry my thinking one step further and possibly being influenced by the missionary's comparison of a mission to mortality— i realized that we cannot take anything home after our ultimate graduation when we actually die. So why do we treat our possessions differently in the course of normal life than we did that printer in the mission field? Instead of amassing and consuming our bounty, shouldn't it be directed instead toward the highest and best use to benefit the building of the kingdom of God on earth? That is when I concluded that everything we own is 220 volts. No matter how much we want to, we just cannot take it home with us. So, how do we learn to be more free with our substance as the Scriptures direct? I will leave you to ponder the answer to that question as we look at a few related Scriptures. Think of your brethren like unto yourselves, and be familiar with all, and free with your substance, that they may be rich like unto you. Jacob chapter two verse seventeen. And thus they should impart of their substance of their own free will and good desires towards God yea and to every needy naked soul mosiah chapter eighteen verse twenty eight thou shalt not covet thine own property when we think of being covetous most of the time that would apply to other people's things but in section nineteen of the doctrine and covenants martin harris was told not to covet his own property And again I command thee that thou shalt not covet thine own property, but impart it freely to the printing of the Book of Mormon, which contains the truth and the word of God. Doctrine and Covenants, section 19, verse 26. Martin took this admonition seriously and came up with the needed $3,000 to pay the printer. His willingness to follow the Lord's commandment was crucial to getting the first 5,000 copies of the Book of Mormon printed. Later events directly related to his mortgage caused Martin Harris to lose his 240-acre farm. While that may have been a significant personal tragedy to Brother Harris, it pales in comparison to the greater good that came from his act of obedience and sacrifice. Since Nephi admonishes us to liken all scripture unto ourselves that it might be for our profit and learning, we can glean from this example that the Lord certainly has a broader view than we with regard to this world's goods. He knows what blessings can be brought about when we faithfully administer our stewardships as he directs. Obedience and sacrifice are the first laws of heaven. The law of consecration. As we become less self-absorbed with money and more free with our voluntary contributions, We are preparing ourselves to embrace the law of consecration. Consider the message in this quotation from Victor L. Brown, former presiding bishop of the church. Until we feel in total harmony with the principle that everything we have belongs to the Lord, it will be difficult, if not impossible, for us to accept the law of consecration. As we prepare to live this law, we will look forward with great anticipation to the day when the call will come. If, on the other hand, we hope it can be delayed so we can have the pleasure of accumulating material things we are on the wrong path. As we look toward living the law of consecration, consider the schoolmaster parallel in relation to tithing discussed in chapter 5, cast thy bread upon the waters. Then ponder what Marion G. Romney admonished the church in this quotation with regard to fast offerings. What prohibits us from giving as much in fast offerings as we would have given in surpluses under the United Order? Nothing but our own limitations. In that context, there is no reason why we cannot begin to consecrate our time, talents, and material means now. We do not need to wait for the call. As we do so, the Lord will continue to bless us abundantly. As counterintuitive as this may appear to some, the closer we come to embracing this principle, the easier it will be to accomplish our other righteous goals. The principle of consecration is manifested in different ways in various stages of our lives. As the young missionary, you learned what is involved in giving all your time and serving the Lord with all your might, mind, and strength. Young people are consecrating their time and talents when their priorities are set correctly toward home and nurturing their family. Mothers who stay home to care for their children are consecrating their lives as the Lord has directed, and are building the kingdom in meaningful ways. Wherefore, be not weary in well-doing, for ye are laying the foundation of a great work, and out of small things proceedeth that which is great. Doctrine and Covenants section 64 verse 33. Older people whose families are raised have opportunities to serve in many capacities, all of which demonstrate the desires of the heart and our ultimate consecration. Every man a penny. One of my favorite stories from the New Testament is the parable of the laborers in the vineyard found in Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again he went about the sixth and ninth hour, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out, and found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, call the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired, about the eleventh hour they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day." But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is and go thy way. I will give unto this last even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first last. For many be called but few chosen. Like all of the Saviour's parables, this story instructs on many levels. The laborers in this parable murmured against the good man of the house, not because he rewarded them any less than the contracted amount, but because they thought it was not fair that he paid others the same who had worked less, and had not borne the heat of the day. At first glance, he might appear to have been partial, but he is quick to ask the piercing question, Is thine eye evil because I am good? As we trust God's plan, even when we may not understand apparent inequalities, and not try to make everything artificially equal, we will more easily embrace the potential god sees in us and in our fellow laborers remember he knows the end from the beginning in god's perfect plan every man will have equal opportunity to return to live with him rather than focus on trying to make everything fair we need to trust that he who is mindful of each of us will Will make a way for every man who will to repent and come unto him every time i read this parable i wonder about those who were standing idle all day until the 11th hour why didn't one of them set up a card table and sell lemonade the celestial nature of self-reliance in 1982 Marion g romney gave a talk that was timeless enough to be reprinted in the march 2009 ensign magazine this doctrine is taught so plainly i have presented a good portion of it below verbatim I could not possibly state these concepts with any more clarity. After expounding the merits of becoming self-reliant with regard to our own physical needs, he added the following insights into spiritual self-reliance. Now, I wish to speak of a very important truth. Self-reliance is not the end, but a means to an end. It is very possible for a person to be completely independent and lack every other desirable attribute. One may become wealthy and never have to ask anyone for anything, but unless there is some spiritual goal attached to this independence, it can canker his soul. The development of our spiritual nature should concern us most. Spirituality is the highest acquisition of the soul, the divine in man, the supreme, crowning gift that makes him king of all created things. It is the consciousness of victory over self and of communion with the infinite. It is spiritually alone which really gives one the best in life. To further quote President Romney from this same talk, he says, It has always seemed somewhat paradoxical to me that we must constantly have the Lord command us to do those things which are for our own good. The Lord has said, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. We lose our life by serving and lifting others. By so doing, we experience the only true and lasting happiness. Service is not something we endure on this earth so we can earn the right to live in the celestial kingdom. Service is the very fiber of which an exalted life in the celestial kingdom is made. Oh, for the glorious day when these things all come naturally because of the purity of our hearts. In that day, there will be no need for a commandment because we will have experienced for ourselves that we are truly happy only when we are engaged in unselfish service. Can we see how critical self-reliance becomes when looked upon as the prerequisite to service, when we also know service is what godhood is all about? Without self-reliance, one cannot exercise these innate desires to serve. How can we give if there is nothing there? Food for the hungry cannot come from empty shelves. Money to assist the needy cannot come from an empty purse. Support and understanding cannot come from the emotionally starved. Teaching cannot come from the unlearned. And most important of all, spiritual guidance cannot come from the spiritually weak. There is an interdependence between those who have and those who have not. The process of giving exalts the poor and humbles the rich in the process. both are sanctified. The poor, released from the bondage and limitations of poverty, are enabled as free men to rise to their full potential, both temporally and spiritually. The rich, by imparting of their surplus, participate in the eternal principle of giving. Once a person has been made whole or self-reliant, he reaches out to aid others, and the cycle repeats itself. Establishing the Cause of Zion Three times in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 6, 11, and 12, the Lord repeats the following admonition verbatim. I have learned that when the Lord uses repetition as a teaching tool, it is a good idea to listen up. Now as you have asked, behold, I say unto you, keep my commandments, and seek to bring forth and establish the cause of Zion. Following the third recitation of this same text above, he offered this direction to the church in Doctrine and Covenant section 12, Behold, I speak unto you, and also to all those who have desires to bring forth and establish this work. And no one can assist in this work except he shall be humble and full of love, having faith, hope, and charity, being temperate in all things, whatsoever shall be entrusted to his care. Doctrine and Covenants section 12, verses 6 through 8. Three years later, in section 82, the Lord offered this additional guidance for dealing with one another in Zion. Every man seeking the interest of his neighbor and doing all things with an eye single to the glory of God. Doctrine and Covenants section 82, verse 19. When I consider verse 19 cited above in connection with the premise of this chapter, everything is 220 volts, it becomes much easier to visualize a society where people actually do seek the interest of their neighbor and do all things with an eye single to the glory of God. Is that Zion? As with all principles of the gospel, we learn line upon line and precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. Second Nephi chapter 28 verse 30. Spiritual growth takes place when these lines and precepts layer to form the substance of who we are becoming. That process is the basis for discovering the spiritual meaning of earthly things, and can often take a lifetime to appreciate and thereby gain a more complete understanding. Consecration can be learned as early as childhood or as young adults. We can give our all to the Lord in the mission field, leaving behind all our worldly cares, It can be strengthened in our marriages and thrive as we have children of our own and teach them to have all things common within the family unit. Opportunities will surface frequently in the regular course of life to help teach us consecration. Certainly life on a senior mission is one of those. The mission family is one of the closest communities where all pull together for the good of the whole without concern for individual compensation or recognition. It may be as close to living in Zion as we will experience in this life.